0: Good morning. You can stand for the whole sermon, that's fine with me. Thank you so much for being here as we close out our series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. Summer is about over, at least for those who are going back to school, and that means the end of our series. Uh, We're in Matthew chapter 7 this morning, verses 24 through 29, if you want to go ahead and turn there. There was a man living in Chicago that was tired of the cold weather. It was frigid, it was miserable, and so he decided that he was going to go down to Florida for a while, where it was hotter, where he could enjoy some sunshine. His wife was away on business, and he told her just to meet him in Florida. Don't worry about going back to Chicago, just meet him in Florida. She, he sent her an email in order to get this information to her, but he messed up the email. He didn't have her address right, and so the email actually went to an old lady living in Iowa who had just lost her husband the day before. When she opened up the email, she fainted. Other people in the house hearing the thud ran into the room to find her lying on the floor, and they put all the pieces together when they read the email. It started, my dearest darling, just wanted you to know that I have arrived safely. The second line read, I'm looking forward to you joining me tomorrow. (laughs) Signed, your loving husband. PS it's really hot down here. <laughs> Communication's important, you know it? And that's what Jesus is getting at in the Sermon on the Mount. Communication's really important and he's communicating what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. What does it look like to be a follower of his? He is putting the finishing touches on his sermon and in essence, he tells his audience So what are you going to do about it? That's the question they're left with. So what are you going to do about this? Because those hearing the lesson for the first time and those of us hearing it now are faced with the question, will we do what Jesus says? It's a question and a decision. Will we do what Jesus says? Because ultimately, theology must translate into cardiology. Head knowledge must lead to heart movement. Information must incite transformation, and the word of God must be activated in your life. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Let's look there. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell. And its collapse was great. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. We bought a house back in 2014 with the intent of flipping it fixing it up and then selling it. We stayed there four years, didn't intend to stay that long, but that was our intent. When we walked into the house the first time, we noticed this large crack next to the fireplace, big wall in the living room with a big crack in it. How do you fix a big crack in the wall? You putty over it and then you paint it, right? But if you do that, you're not gonna solve the issue. Chances are you're gonna get another crack or that same crack is gonna open up. And the reason why is because the crack is superficial it's not the problem. The problem is whatever's causing that crack. As we did some investigating, we learned that the chimney or the fireplace itself was too heavy for that part of the house and it had been sinking into the ground for quite some time. And so the repair was to bring a foundation uh, company to come over, jack up the foundation, put some piers under it so that it was level again. But you know, you look around you in the world, in your own little part of the world, and there are cracks everywhere. And a lot of time and energy and effort is spent trying to fix the cracks, but it's a cosmetic fix because they're not digging below the surface addressing the real problem. And so it just becomes patchwork, right? Make no mistake about it. Everyone is a builder. Every single one of you is a general contractor. Every single person is building something. And the quality of what we build depends on what we do with the specifications that we have been given. And that's Jesus' message in a nutshell. He gave his audience a blueprint, and then he says, now go build a life. Now, I realize that Jesus is referring to build or building in this passage and, and, and talking about houses. But in Scripture, build or building can refer to building a family building a life, building a marriage, building a nation or a ministry. You might remember that God's people were referred to as the house of Israel. So whatever building we're talking about, Jesus' words here apply to all of it. The first thing I want you to notice is the similarities between these two men. Both have the same desire. Both want to build a house that shields them from the elements that they can dwell in. They wanted the same thing, they thought about the same thing, they were interested in the same thing, and I think we can rightly conclude that they basically built the same type of structure. At this point, one could probably pass by the two structures and not see much of a difference. A casual passerby would see basically the same type of house with both these men. Pleasing to the eye, looks like it's well built, however, however, there's a difference below the surface, right? Right? And there's one more similarity between these two. Both will face the same storm. And that final similarity will reveal the major difference between the two. You know, every now and then I get a piece of mail that's addressed to occupant. You ever get that kind of mail? You know what that tells me? It tells me whoever sent me that doesn't care who lives there. They don't care. They don't care my name. They don't don't care about who who resides at at 298 Springfield Street. They don't care. They just want whoever lives there to receive whatever it is they're trying to market. Folks, you're going to face trials in this life. Storms are going to come, and do you know why? Because you're an occupant, plain and simple. That's the only prerequisite to facing storms. You got to live here. And you do. Every single one of us are going to face storms because we are occupants. It's a part of just being an occupant in this world. And that's okay if you have a strong foundation. Storms reveal just how strong that foundation is. The storms reveal what you're rooted in. But here's the deal. You can't fix a foundation problem during the storm. You've got to do it beforehand, before the storm ever comes, while the weather is calm. Back in 1992, Hurricane Andrew did major damage, decimated large portions of Florida. Sixty-five people were killed. uh, Over 25,000 homes were lost. After the storm, two grand juries convened and determined that many of the structures that were built were not built according to code, that many times uh, inspections were bypassed or not done legally, and that led to some of the strictest building codes, not only in the United States, but in the whole world. But stricter building codes don't necessarily lead to stronger buildings because, as one legislator put it, people don't like to be told what to do. They don't want to be told how to build. And that, my friends, is the distinction between the wise and foolish builder. That's the major difference. The wise man followed the instructions, whereas the foolish builder didn't want to pay attention to the specifications and the building codes. As a result, his life was decimated by the storm. Now, you look at Matthew chapter 7, and it's easy to think, well, the major difference between these two is the foundation. I mean, obviously, that is the point of the parable. But I would suggest to you that the difference between the wise and the foolish builder starts before they ever get to building or laying a foundation. Look at it again. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man Who built his house on the sand? So, the difference between the two didn't start with the foundation. It started with the blueprints. The wise man followed them, the foolish man didn't. You see, the foolish man doesn't have time for blueprints, he doesn't bother with listening to instruction or paying attention to to the codes that govern proper construction. Building a house is a serious undertaking. And if you want to do it well, you consult an architect, you have them draw up plans, and you follow the blueprints in order to build a safe, secure abode. But the foolish man says, I don't have time for directions. Directions are for people who don't know what they're doing. Ladies, you ever heard your husband say that? But the wise builder is the one that listens to instruction and then puts it into action. He knows what he doesn't know. He's humble enough to hear, to follow, And to build. The foolish builder refuses to apply spiritual truth to life's choices. In fact, that's the definition of foolishness to lean on your own understanding. Wisdom, on the other hand, is making spiritual application to life's decisions. The wise builder not only listens to instruction, but he follows the blueprints. Like I said, the construction of a house is a serious undertaking. A man who is so anxious to build, He just wants to get a structure up so he can have a roof over his head. He's going to be sorely disappointed in the end. He should realize that certain principles of construction must be observed if you are to have a satisfactory and durable abode. That's why we construct architects. That's why we follow the blueprints. The wise builder is well aware that somebody knows more than he does. James puts it perfectly. In James chapter 1, verse 21 and following, "...therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls, but prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was." But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Both the wise and the foolish can have a dream. Both can build. Both can listen to the word. They can both face the storms, but only one can be kept dry. Only one can dwell in the safety of knowing that they are secure. Have you ever been to a big city, and you've seen them building a large skyscraper, then you know that the integrity of that structure is going to depend on the foundation and how far into the ground you go to lay that foundation. In other words, the principle is the higher you go, the deeper you go, right? The taller the structure, the further down you need to go to make sure that it's sturdy. Know what this is? This is the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I was born in, Ger- in Germany. My dad was stationed there for two years, and my parents decided if we're going to be over here, we're going to see all of Europe. We're going to see as much as we can see because we na- may never get this opportunity again. So I can tell you I've been almost everywhere in Europe and hit all the major highlights, and I don't remember a single bit of it. I was a little bitty. They tell me I fell out of the car in Paris. My parents didn't know French. They were scared because I knocked myself out. And you don't say that I, that's what's wrong with you now. I know that's what you're thinking. <laughs> But my parents tell me we've been up in the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I don't think you can go in it now, but back then you could. Do you know why the Leaning Tower of Pisa leans? Because it was built in Pisa. Pisa means marshy land. And you have this very large structure that's made of stone and marble. It's very heavy. And it's built on a foundation of marsh, clay, shells, and sand. In other words, the foundation is no match for this really heavy, massive structure. And all of our problems relate to the foundation. Hearing must translate into doing. The Bible must be activated. Both builders listened. Only one acted. And therefore, only one benefited from a well-built structure. Once we have studied the divine blueprints, it's vital that we build according to code. But you don't start with windows and doors. You start at ground level. You must always start with the comprehensive statement of God on any and every issue. Because there are always two answers to every question. You realize that, don't you? There are always two answers to every question. God's answer and your answer. And your answer is always wrong. Okay? God's answer and your answer, and your answer is always wrong. The problem is that too many in our world don't start with God. We don't start at ground level. They ignore God altogether, or they start with man, and then they invite God in. Every human has a source that shapes and informs their worldview. And this authority influences how they think, how they talk, how they act, how they live. And the possible worldviews that act as a source for people can really be boiled down to four varieties. You have reason, which is I think. You have experience, which is I feel. You have tradition, which is I've always done it this way. And then you have the one that we should be building on, which is revelation or God's word. We will grant ultimate authority to the source that we believe gives us the wisdom to navigate life. But can you really build a life on the first three? Can you really build a structure on reason? Think about the ramifications of I feel or I think. Can you really build a life on that? I mean, because what we feel and think may be wrong. And what we feel and think changes, especially in our society. You can't build a life on that. You might build something, but it's not going to be anything that can withstand the storms. How about tradition? Can you build a life on tradition? Well, I've always done it this way. So what? That way may have always been wrong. Or it may have been wrong at one time, but now it may have been right at one time, but now it's wrong. Because you've got to adapt and adjust to life, right? What worked at one point may not work now. And so the only true foundation that we should be building upon is God's Word. James had something to say about this also. Notice James chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure than peace loving, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, free of hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so, like Jesus, James operates in contrast here. He points out the major difference between wisdom from the Lord and wisdom from the world. I call it wordy versus worldly wisdom. Wisdom from God's word versus wisdom from the world. Notice the difference. Good conduct. Versus bitter jealousy, gentleness versus selfishness, pure versus arrogant, peaceable versus untruthful, reasonable versus ungodly, merciful versus demonic, fruitful versus disorderly. Wisdom from above is impartial, it is sincere, and it is void of hypocrisy. So James simplifies life in a twofold manner, just like Jesus did. There is a crystal clear line of demarcation between wisdom and foolishness, and the dichotomy that exists is not blurry at all. The world likes to blur the line because the world wants to ignore God's instruction altogether, or the world wants to include God, but only after they have already kind of made up their mind. Lay the foundation and then invite God in. We want the wisdom from above, but we also want to mix in a little wisdom from below. It just doesn't work that way. You start with God. You build on His Word. You construct your life according to the divine blueprints. Human wisdom cannot mix with godly wisdom. It's like, it's like oil and water. They don't mix. The divine standard is the only standard that we need because it's the only standard that is stable. One of the reasons we see so many cracks in our society and one of the reasons we see so many cracks in the church that mirror the cracks in society is because we're doing patchwork. We're not going to the foundational level. We start with human wisdom, and we invite God in. And whether you're building a home, a family, a ministry, a nation, whatever category of building you're involved in, if the divine blueprints are not consulted and the proper foundation laid, you're going to have cracks that eventually lead to crumbling. So marriage fatherhood, motherhood, gender identity, racial division, political unrest, any of the other societal fires that you see burning around us all the time, all of them must be addressed at the ground level. But we don't always do that. We don't address them at a foundational level. We address them at a worldly level. And despite the spin we put on it, it's not working. And you know why I know it's not working? Look around you. You can't tell me it's working because the fires continue to burn. You know why race is such a divisive issue in our culture? Because we start with history. We start with background. We start with what we're taught. And some or all of those things may be partly true or completely true. But it's not where you start. You start at the foundational level with the Word of God. Do you know why there's so much political unrest in our society? Because we start with the party lines. We start with Fox News or CNN. We start with what we're taught, what's been ingrained in us. And some or all of that may be true, but it's not where you start. You start at the foundational level. You start with God. You see, there's no such thing as a black Christian, a white Christian, a conservative Christian a liberal Christian, or any other modifier that you want to use because the job of the adjective is to modify the noun. Am I right? So if you've got Christian in the noun position and some other label in the adjective position, then the noun must always reflect the modifier. But that's not how this works. Christian or Christianity must always do the modifying. Everything else must be in the noun position because the true representation of who you are, your true identity is not black, white, Republican, Democrat, or whatever other adjective you want to insert in there because these things do not modify your Christianity, nor does Christianity modify those things. You always start with who you are in Jesus. Always. That's who you are. That is your identity because that's the only thing that matters. No other adjective is needed. I don't need a modifier. I am his. I am a Christian. And that modifies everything else in my life. So I don't start with these other things. I start with who I am in God. Society wants to tell you that it's all about gender. That sexuality is at the forefront and that it says everything about you. No, what says everything about you is who you are in Christ. And that saturates everything else. If your politics is affecting your faith, then you need to change your politics. Because that's not the way it's supposed to be. Faith should be affecting everything else in your life. Faith should come first. God should come first. You start at the foundational level. Don't get the the order mixed up. You don't need anything modifying you. If you are in Christ, that's all that matters. You are His. You are a Christian. And that should modify everything else in your life. Anyone know who this is? If not, you should probably just guess a sports figure because that's the only illustrations I use, right? This is John Wooden, legendary basketball coach of the UCLA Bruins. I think he won like nine or 11 national championships. Um, Considered by many as the best basketball coach to ever live. If you know anything about John Wooden, if you studied him, you know that he was very much a man of principle. He very much believed in the basics. He had some rules that were very detail-oriented. One of them was that he believed his players should all be clean cut and clean shaved. Not because he was an old fuddy-duddy, but because he believed the longer your hair was, the longer it took to dry, you could catch a cold, and if you catch a cold, you can't play. And so he expected all of his players to have, you know, be clean shaven, cut their hair. One of the greatest college basketball players of all time played for John Wooden. The name was Bill Walton. And Bill Walton is a self-described hippie. And he came back from summer vacation and he had long hair and a long beard. And John Wooden pulled him aside and he said, Bill, you're going to have to shave and you're going to have to cut your hair. And Bill Walton pushed back. He said, well, I shouldn't have to do that. It's my hair, it's my beard. I should be able to grow it any way I want to. And John Wooden said, do you really believe that, Bill? He said, yes, I do. And Coach Wooden said, you know, I respect that. I respect a man who has principles and stands by them. It's been great having you on the team, Bill. (laughs) Bill Walton cut his hair and he shaved and became one of the greatest basketball players in college basketball. But to show how much John Wooden was dedicated to detail and things on a foundational level, every year... Before they ever dribbled a basketball, he would gather his team together, first practice, they would get in the locker room and he would show them how to properly put on their socks. Now you imagine that. These high caliber athletes from all over the United States, they're coming in and John Wooden is teaching them how to do something they've done a million times over. But in John Wooden's mind, the devil is in the details. You get the details right, everything else will fall in place. If you don't put your socks on correctly, you can get wrinkles. Wrinkles cause blisters. Blisters make it to where you can't play. And so he started at the ground level. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He starts at the foundational level. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus teaching us how to win. It's a winning formula, and it all boils down to fundamentals. You want to build a winning life, a winning home, a winning church. Well, then here's the deal. Listen to the coach and then go execute the game plan. You have a need that we can help you with this morning? Are you hurting? Need the prayers of this church family? You ready to put on Christ in baptism? Maybe you'd like to study with someone. Whatever your need is, Don's going to lead us in a song. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?